Welcome to this week's episode of MicroConf On Air. I am your host, Rob Walling, as always. So every Wednesday, we live stream for about 30 minutes and cover topics related to building, growing startups that are ambitious but fit within the goals of, you know, having a normal life, not burning yourself out, and finding freedom, purpose, and relationships. So today, Justin Jackson will be joining me in just a couple minutes. Uh, but first, I want to mention the MicroConf Connect exclusive meetaways. And what these are is an event we're having this Friday at, I think it's 1 Eastern. And if you're in MicroConf Connect or you received uh, uh, an email from uh, Producer Xander and my team, in essence, Meetaway is an app that allows for one-on-one um, -on -one chats and it it kind of spins through a bunch of people over the course of, you know, uh, however many minutes we, we set it for. I believe the chats are about 14 minutes. And the idea here is just to talk with someone, maybe someone you already know, maybe it's someone new and you do get to specify some preferences and say some things about yourself. And uh, and then it just rolls. And I think it's going to run for about uh, 90 minutes and 14 minutes per chat. And um, you can kind of you know, come and go and um, be, be paired up with folks and have interesting conversations with interesting startup founders. So that's MicroConf Connect Meetaways. It's coming this Friday. Uh, if you miss an episode, if you ever miss an episode of MicroConf On Air, we have a podcast and you can search that in any podcatcher and listen to them asynchronously. As always, special thanks to Basecamp and Stripe. They are headline partners for the year and uh, we thank them for making making what we do just a little bit easier. So today, I'm going to bring Justin Jackson into the feed, and he and I are going to be digging into recession-resistant bootstrap SaaS, plus talk about the myth, question mark, of personal brand branding uh, when growing your SaaS company. Justin Jackson, if you're not familiar with him, he's co-founder of Transistor, which is a podcast host, and he is host of the Build Your SaaS podcast. Mr. Jackson, sir, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, it's good to be here. This is fun. Yeah. I I like the your your triad of purpose, freedom, and relationships. Is that right? Yep. Yep. I remember you mentioning that I heard it on a I was on a flight and I just remember it really resonating and going because I was kind of struggling with maybe my business wasn't doing very well at the time or something. And I was like, what am I doing this for? Like what is what's the purpose? And then you said those three things and they resonated so strongly with me. I've kind of adopted them myself. So whenever I'm yeah, thinking cool. about like, what do I want to do? It's like, okay, does this give me purpose? Does it help me with, you know, connecting with people, which I really like? And does it give me more freedom? And yeah, yeah it's been a, it's been a nice filter for, <laughs> yeah, cool. for deciding what I'm going to do. Yeah, it's good to hear. And that's what I use it for as well, right? As I found in my life when I don't have all three of those things that I become unhappy over time. If I, uh, before I had freedom, you know, of, of the entrepreneurial things that we do and was working a day job, mm -hmm. it was like a big struggle to stay happy. But then I got it. I, mean, I achieved freedom and I was working like 10 hours a week. You know, I had a bunch of little, like I kind of did the four hour work week type thing for about 10 months and I didn't really have a purpose. <laughs> I got really, really bored. So it's, you know, it it's uh it kind of cuts all three ways. For folks yeah. listening, if you have questions for uh, either on these topics or just general questions for Justin or I, feel free to put them in the MicroConf on air channel uh, in MicroConf Connect, and we'll just pick those out anytime. Producer Xander will bring them to uh to my attention. Sorry, Justin, were you going to say something else about that on the freedom purpose relationships? Uh, I think one thing 
that's been interesting for John and I now is when you're building a company at the beginning, your purpose is just to get that initial bit of freedom to be able to, you know, okay, I just want this to pay my bills. And I distinctly remember getting to, I think we were, I think Transistor was paying me around five grand a month. And almost like as soon as we hit that bar and it was just enough to live on, I was like, good, <laughs> you know? And then yep. uh, once we hit this, we had this MRR number in mind. And then once we hit that, I think our struggle since then has been, what do we do now? Like, what's the purpose once we hit this? Yep. And so we've had lots of conversations about that of, you know, the purpose piece, I think, changes uh, at, at the beginning. It's like you're just or there's an interplay between purpose and freedom. And, mm -hmm. you know, there was a kind of a, a floor that we needed to get to. And now it's like, OK, what's the next step? And to be honest, it was it's been a little bit tricky to to figure that out. Uh, part of that's in kind of your own <laughs> Like the answer is going to be a little bit different for John and me, I think. Mm -hmm. And then also trying to answer that for the company overall. Did you, did you ever experience that? Like feeling oh, like you hit something and then, okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You and hit how, it. You how hit did you level. get over it? It was, um, well, first I got like things and it's frozen. dealing with. All right, Jeff's coming back. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. I think I'm going to keep going on. Hopefully I don't break up too much. Um, yeah, I, I've always had trouble because I typically wouldn't realize that I was hitting these kind of, of plateaus. Not even plateaus or those things. Maybe it's to, you know, sell a company for $10 million or maybe it's, um, you know, to grow an amazing, I mean, like Belly, I would say he hasn't really done balsamic for the money. He's done it more almost like uh, his mission is to like build a great company that he wanted to work for and employ other people and kind of help the world in a better UX, you know, and that's his purpose. And so I, I think you're right. that um, It's going to be, honestly, it's going to be different for everyone, but I do think that there are, there are a handful of them, you know, uh, of kind of your mission that you develop. And that's why, you know, mission, vision, values, like when we hear that as bootstrappers, we just roll our eyes, right? Because it's like, that's what big companies do and it's bullshit. At a certain point, mm -hmm. it's not. At a certain point, yeah. it's it's the reason you're doing it. Once you're banking, you know, let's say you're at SaaS, it's making, I had, a, Hitta was doing 25 grand a month and I had mm -hmm. no employees. So I was just banking yeah. more money than I had ever, you know, my first job, I made like $35,000 a year. Like I was making in a, in a month what I had made, you know, almost at my first job. So what do you do then? I had tons yeah. of freedom. I had more money than, you know, than I needed at the time. And what, so that was, that was the what's next, you know, how, yeah. how have you, what's your process been? And, and are you getting, you feel like you're getting close to it? Well, I mean, I think it's been nice to like recognize it. Mm -hmm. Um, what, yeah, recognize it. And the other thing I've been doing is trying to talk to people who have had some success. 
uh, because it, it it really is two camps. Like I've I've been a hungry entrepreneur for a long time, and you know I had good years and I had bad years, and then and then my two two years before Transistor were really hard, bad years, and I remember um, you emailed me during those times we chatted. Yeah, and I was just you know I was struggling emotionally. I was. Uh, really depressed. Uh, I had a bunch of personal issues that were affecting me and that ended up affecting the business. And so I just can remember there was part of me that was just like desperate to, to you know, get some revenue, get some money in the bank. And then that was hitting that first 5k. It was like, okay, like there's this consistent 5k coming into my account every month. And that really helped me relax. And then the next stage was like, okay, now I need to get back to like a good family income. And so we're building up to that. And then we probably hit that in August of 2008. And so then it was like, okay, good. And then we had this number in mind of this would be a good monthly number for two of us running this business if we hit this. And then we hit that so at that point i was like i just like again i i i had never seen that much money before and the the and it was different it was different than working a job as a product manager um it was different than you know when i was focused mostly on marketing for developers like doing all of these launch cycles and always hoping for the next launch to provide income and so, yeah, I reached out to Taylor Otwell and Adam Wavin and some of my other friends and uh, actually, yeah, and uh, a DHH. And they, the, the funny thing that they all said was their first comment, all three of them independently was, well, Justin, you're not rich yet. Like you still yeah. need to save up some money. Uh, yeah. You haven't been putting away money for your retirement. You haven't been investing. You need to do that next. And so uh, that gave me some idea of like, okay, <laughs> there's still a purpose here. Like I still need to provide uh, uh, a nice backup for my family. And so yeah. that's been the, the focus now. That's uh, a great focus. It's a great focus. Yeah. 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 And, and like so, imagine imagine like completely populating, you know, your kids college funds, like for you have four kids, right? It's like, what if all yeah. of that was popular? So to me, that became a goal at one point, actually, I had this portfolio of small products, and I was making 120 150k a year in California owned a house. And it was a, it was a good income in Fresno. And I asked mm -hmm. Sherry one time I was like, and I, but again, I was working 10 hours a week. And I was like, what would we do with more money? Like, do we need more money? Should I work harder? And because I started feeling guilty, right? because I wasn't working mm -hmm. that much. And she said, with more money, we could, she listed off all these things. She's like, we could get an apartment at the beach, um, which would be groundbreaking for our family because we really didn't like, you know, living in Fresno was a tough, it was a tough slog. Um, yeah. She said, we could be way more generous, uh, both financially and with, you know, with time, we could fill the kids' college fund. We could make sure this and that, like, and, and we had, mm -hmm. you know, at the time I had saved up, a, you know, probably, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand for in retirement accounts. And and mm -hmm. our, our personal accounts were just average, you know, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. 
but that became my purpose. That's actually why I got off my duff and bought Hittail. The whole purpose of Hittail was I was like, I want to see, A, can I do this, challenge myself to this, and B, yeah. to reap the rewards from it. So that became my purpose. But again, I wouldn't tell you that that should be yours, right? Because as we're saying, you yeah. have to kind of figure your own out. But that vision of a, you know, of a fully funded college fund for my kids was like a pretty, pretty cool idea. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that has been, again, I think, and I think from talking to other folks, I think a lot of entrepreneurs can, like, a lot of my friends are Main Street entrepreneurs. And, uh, you know, they run restaurants and coffee shops and uh, retail shops. And if we're in that group, everybody is just, you know, they're just you know, whatever they make, they spend that month, right? It's, it's right. a very kind of hungry entrepreneurial cycle. Yeah. And um, after, you know, being on that treadmill for so long and doing a business work and trying to get it to work and, you know, and then actually having a business where it's like, whoa, this is, this is different. This is like every month I'm more relaxed. Instead of being more wound up, I'm, I'm sleeping better instead of, you know, uh, staying up all night. I'm, I just feel better. So that's the beauty yeah, of recurring I, revenue. I will say the beauty of SaaS <laughs> is that on the first of each month, I've said this before, I had a bunch of one-time sales business, sale businesses. And the first of each month I had $0 in revenue with SaaS. Yeah. The same, pretty much the same amount, you know, minus churn or whatever, as you did last month. It's fucking incredible. And that's why we do this. That's why it is the golden ticket. That's why so much venture money has gone into this because the business model, you know, is in, is incredible. Um, I do yeah. want to kind of redirect our conversation into the yeah, topic yeah, so, we don't have, uh, <laughs> yeah. so we don't have uh, false advertising claims of people saying you never talked about recession resistant and, uh, and, and personal mm -hmm. branding related to SaaS. So recession. So I posit that, um, there are different causes of recessions, right? There was a 1990 recession that was caused by oil prices uh, going up and there had been a bunch of growth stimulus and then housing crash there. Um, mm -hmm. The 2001 was dot-com crash. 2008 was a housing and financial system crash and 2020 is a pandemic. So each of these different causes impacts things differently, right? So mm -hmm. like if, if, I ran, if I run a, um, today, if I ran software that catered to schools, you might say, well, school, having software, having a SaaS that caters to schools is a, is a um, recession resistant business typically, right? Yeah. Because schools plan a year out and they have this much budget and they're not going to cancel on you. However, <laughs> this time it's different because this recession was caused by this unprecedented pandemic and travel is locked down and schools are locked down. So I want to mm -hmm. kick it off with that. And then I'd love to hear, you know, more thoughts from you on, uh, on recession resistance. Yeah. I mean, what we were just talking about is in some ways uh, pertains to this because there's, there's a, I have a struggle because <laughs> I have some ideas on like what are recession proof businesses or at least what businesses seem to be doing well right now. But there is this duality to this, which is uh, it's difficult to get something in motion once something like this hits. So, Transistor's doing well right now, but we were already in motion. If we had yeah. to like fire this up during the recession, like right when the recession hit, it's just so much more difficult. Uh, in the same way of like, what's the best way to prepare for a recession? 
you know, Warren Buffett just gave his, his annual address. And normally mm-hmm. when the market's down, he's like, buy, buy, buy. And he's like, well, I'm basically just taking all my cash and I'm just going to stay back. Just hang out with it for a bit. Yeah. Just hang out with a bit. And yeah. so, you know, if Warren is thinking that, that's what I call him, just first name basis, Warren. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, if Warren's thinking that, that it's probably prudent for most of us to have some cash. But again, that's not something that you can just click on. And so I think part of what I've been telling people is if, you know, if you are, if you weren't prepared, if your business isn't equipped for this, if you don't have a bunch of cash, you are just going to have to fight the best you can. And you're, you might have to be really uh, gritty and, you know, it's not going to be easy, but you should be thinking the next time this happens, I want to be prepared. And, um, for, for me, that's meant saving up at least six months worth of expenses. And it, really, it sounds like a year or two years is better right now. And, um, and also understanding that I think, I think it's possible to survive a recession as a gritty entrepreneur, but it's going to be difficult to quickly build a business that truly takes advantage of some of the characteristics sure. we're seeing right now. I don't know what, what you think. Yeah, especially with SaaS, because it just takes so long, right? I mean, maybe there are, there are things if you could build an info product, a course, a book, a lot quicker than trying to get mm-hmm. the SaaS off the ground and, and cater to people who are perhaps getting laid, the developers getting laid off, you know, you could create info for them on whatever, you know, whether it's to, teaching them how to launch a business or whether it's um, uh, talking about here's how to get jobs or whatever. It, it's interesting yeah. that I've been saying like the pattern that I'm seeing across, I have 36 com- SaaS companies that I've invested in and I was saying it was 20%, 20% and 60% are in these three buckets, but when I actually kind of looked at it further, it's more like 15, 15, and 70. And 15% of, of the companies I'm invested in are crushing it right now. They're like, mm. because they're, they're in podcasting or some other remote thing that suddenly took off because of this recession. 15% yeah. are getting crushed because they're mm-hmm. in something that this recession, and frankly, the pandemic has has you know, ground to a halt, like schools, like, um, senior, you know, senior living would be an example. Right. And, uh, mm. I don't know, there's, there's other or travel. Right. Um, and then 70% are just kind of things are slowing down because of the recession. They're not impacted by the pandemic itself, but mm-hmm. the fact that some people are backing off, it's like things are slowing down, but they're not plateauing yet. And they're just kind of mm-hmm. eyeballing it and, you know, and, yeah. and figuring it out. So I do think it'll be a, a time of slowness. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's also hard to tell what's going to happen. Like, yeah. Cause that, we don't know if it's you know, another month or two or another well, yeah, year, and, you know, and there, there's second order effects, which is, you know, like in podcasting, a lot of our customers are prosumers. So they're, you know, they're hobbyists that want to start a podcast and maybe build a personal brand or start a podcast and maybe l- make a little sponsorship money. And, prosumers are generally putting it on their personal credit card. Well, you know that if there's a trillion dollars of credit card debt in the United States, how elastic is that debt? Meaning at what point does it actually hit a wall and does it kind of all start to crumble, right? As long as it's elastic, as long as there's some give there, then 
um, you know, we'll be fine. But if, if a lot of our customer base uh, loses their job or, you know, their business isn't doing as well, then we're going to start to see some of those effects. We haven't seen it yet, but that's always in the back of my mind of like, okay, none of us are really safe. And, um, you know, I noticed, I, I wrote this big list of platforms that seem to be doing well right now. And, uh, you know, in the gold rush, there was some entrepreneurs in the gold rush that didn't go and mine for gold. Uh, Levi Strauss was one of them, the creator of Levi Jeans. They were creating supplies for gold Picks miners. and shovels. Picks and yeah. shovels, yep. And... Uh, a lot of the platforms we're seeing doing well right now are selling picks and shovels to gold miners. So you've got digital e-commerce, Podia, Gumroad doing very well. They've even released some of their numbers like charts that just go up and to the right. Uh, traditional e-commerce, Shopify, Square, Lightspeed, all doing very well right now. Uh, any platforms that enable creators, so membership platforms, you've got Memberful, Memberspace, Patreon, Ghost even. Uh, here's, know, what's interesting. here's what's interesting about these companies is if we weren't in a pandemic where everyone's locked down, I actually don't think that they would, they A, wouldn't be going up and to the right, and B, mm. I, I think they would be slowing down along with everyone else, you know, because I wouldn't necessarily shop more online if I could leave my freaking house, you know what I mean? And I think yes. most of the world would. So, so I think that's where we need to differentiate here is there's a difference between this unprecedented lockdown and a recession, which has technically, I mean, it's technically started, but we're really not into the meat of it yet, you know? Yeah. The, the other thing I want to say, because we, we kind of have to move on to the next topic, um, mm -hmm. I, I think there's... I was almost wondering, is it is it even worth factoring this into your decision when you start your business? Like, let's say you were thinking about starting a SaaS company. Should you should one of the criteria be, is this recession resistant? I'm not sure that it should be because there's one recession every six to 10 years and it typically mm -hmm. lasts six to 15 months. So should that guide your whole thought process? Should it be even a factor? And I, I'm not saying it shouldn't or sh should or should not, but it's certainly less important to me than other factors like you know, price sensitivity, market size, ease of reaching them online, and um, yeah. or the other one, net negative churn, right? Those are my kind of my four that I would look at. I think there's a principle here. Like a lot of these companies were already doing well like they were already growing beforehand i can't really see yep. an example here that wasn't growing beforehand so the fundamentals were already good yep. and i think the principle is that if we look through the history of commerce a good bet is uh selling tools and supplies for other people right to that enable other people to be creative or enable other people to sell online um, you know, the infrastructure that runs, like everyone wants to start a coffee shop because it's super cool and everything, but Visa and MasterCard make a lot of money just, uh, off coffee shops, right? They're enabling the commerce. And I think in general, that's a good bet. Um, and again, like when I look at this list, there's almost everything that's kind of in this category, even uh, like Tailwind UI by Adam Wadden and Steve Shoger was doing really well before. And then they launched it during the pandemic and uh, it's done incredibly well, right? But they would have done well either way. It also just happens to be not a bad thing to sell during uh, 
pandemic and a recession because people want to be building their own things, creating their own things. So, uh, yeah, I think the fundamentals in a lot of these businesses are kind of good already, uh, as, as opposed to, you know, it's just, I think it's gonna be a lot harder for most entrepreneurs, like even someone like me to build a content business that's going to get to that level. Um, so like content yeah, businesses have actually, I think, struggled a little bit. Hmm. Uh, the you know, the online course platforms and things like that. It's just, you'd think that they'd be doing amazing Which is right counterintuitive. Now, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's counterintuitive. I, we have a question from YouTube. So we have about four or five minutes left. So a little tight okay. on time. We have a question from YouTube. Um, and uh, he asks, oh, it's from uh, Christian Foden. He said, did, the, did each of you set out with a goal of building a SaaS product? I asked because we've been writing custom software for ages, bespoke stuff is what he says, and are mm -hmm. on the verge of being able to start a SaaS, uh, licensing a product that we own, but it's been a slog to get there. And a lot of the last four years has been a learning curve. You have a quick one minute thought on that. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I have this, this metaphor of surfing. So I felt like I was just swimming around in the waters and I was kind of swimming around in the podcasting waters. And then I noticed the wave of opportunity come and that just seemed like a good opportunity. So I paddled out and I tried to get up on it. Um, I, I think there are other models that are like, if I was Adam Wathen and I saw the opportunity for Tailwind UI, I would have done that because that's a great opportunity. It's not SaaS, it's one-time sales, but unlike me, he can do one sale and you know, him, and Steve, they can do millions of dollars in revenue. Whereas a launch for me was, you know, a good launch was 30 or 50 grand. So depending on the, the opportunity, how good of a fit it is for me, those are the, those are the things I would be considering. Uh, SAS is great, but it has to kind of match up with those other things as well. Yeah. And for me, well, you know, I started building in 2000, so there was no SaaS really. Um, and, and I kind of started having success in 2005. So again, there really wasn't, I mean, there was like, you know, there wasn't SaaS as we know it, it wasn't called that. Um, but the moment that I learned that you could have recurring revenue when I was running one-time sale products, I was like, how do I do that? I want to go to there. And I also, with downloadable software, um, I had this invoicing software people would download and then they would run it off of their web server okay or, or shared hosting account and they would it was like fresh books but you had you know you kept your own data basically and the headaches of troubleshooting their shitty setups and dealing with the mm -hmm. web hosts who block this and that plugin hours and hours and hours and then if we shipped a bug and we had 500 customers using this it's like you have to literally email them a new file right or email them a new version and then if there's a database change they have to run a script on their production database and you have hundreds of customers with hundreds of so when i mm -hmm. i heard that learned that you didn't have to do that and the revenue was recurring i was like sign yeah. me up so that was 2008 or 9 and i i acquired something called webbing toolbox that was pretty much un, un um unlaunched mostly and that was a b2c SaaS which doesn't work very well. <laughs> and then uh, branched it up to, uh, to hit tail in 2011. And then of course, building drip in 2012 was, it was like, I'm on this plane now. And this is, this is what I want to be doing for, for the rest yeah. of my career, you know? So I, I it's become all, more, but it's always this, it's always the size and shape of the opportunity. Like Ian Landsman mm -hmm. does installed software. 
So you never want to say like, don't do it. But oh yeah, if, no. If if the size and the shape of the opportunity looks good, like wave looks good, and it matches your riding style or whatever, like get on that wave. That makes way more sense than trying to force uh, recurring revenue if it doesn't match kind of the shape of the wave. Well, yeah, and so, for Ian, it's a competitive advantage because there's no no one. Everyone's doing SaaS now, so he's one of the very few yeah. that you can download on prem, right? And that's one of the reasons yeah. that it works. So I think that's yeah. a cool, it's to zig when everybody else is zagging, right? Everyone's going towards SaaS. So should you consider the alternate? All right, we're one yeah. minute over, but I have one more question from Slack yeah. and it's, we'll, we'll lightning round it and then we'll wrap it. Should, do you think you should hedge against the risk of running your own startup by investing? And I think what they're saying is, should you put money in public markets to hedge against the risk of running your own startup? Uh, I mean, I'm just brand new, <laughs> so I don't know. I have been investing more and, um, I mean, the best money I can make every month is still, you know what I make the most money on is us dollar to Canadian conversion. So mm -hmm. for me, yep. it, it makes Forex. way more sense for me to time the conversion market than, uh, try, try to time the stock market. I'm still playing in the stock market, but if you are not in the US, if you're in Australia or Canada, it makes way more sense for you to get uh, a good conversion uh, service or whatever and really figure out the timing of that and you'll make way more, way more money than you would in the stock market. And for me, um, the way I, I mean, I can only tell you when people say, should I, what I always say is this is what I did. You know what I mean? And so yeah. I will, and, and, it, and I, I felt good and I feel good about what I did, but yes, I've been contributing to retirement since I was 18, maybe even 16 when I had a, you know, a job and, and, um, I had read some Warren Buffett stuff and he said, compound interest. If you put a thousand dollars in the bank, I'm sorry, in an IRA or a retirement account when you're 16, it's so much different than putting a thousand dollars in when you're 40 you know, because it mm -hmm. has years to compound and compound and compound. So I was putting just nickels and dimes away. It wasn't that much. I was making five bucks an hour minimum wage. Um, yeah. But I, So I always had retirement going in the background while I was building my businesses, but I kept the bulk of my money. I, I, I made more of it for my own companies, you know what I mean, mm -hmm. than, than I did from retirement. There were a few years where things were lean and I did not contribute to retirement in order to fund Hittail and Drip, but it was at the point where I was like, this this is going to be this is going to be many millions of dollars and and if i take this 15 grand and don't put it in in the account this year it's going to help me hire another person or whatever so there were a few times mm -hmm. i did that but overall i mean even when i sold drip um i had i don't remember what the number was but it was i had maybe three hundred thousand dollars socked away in retirement accounts you know what i mean so i would have been so if, if drip was my retirement plan but if that hadn't worked out yes i had my wife and i sherry had been contributing for years uh, as much money as we could to get into retirement but yeah. we're also both both she and i grew up pretty like she grew up poor i grew up working class and we have watched friends and family like get to 65 and not have money and and it's a thing that we hold you know we're savers right we're we had that that fear of not having money because we've seen it you know yeah, I think just to, to, to end on that, like the advice I give people now is the best way to start a business is to have a bunch of cash in the bank. If you've got a bunch of cash in the bank, whatever that is for you, it just the margin it gives you so much better. Yep. 
Absolutely. Well, sir, if folks want to hear you pontificate about this kind of stuff every week, they can go to Build Your SaaS, which is your podcast. If they want to see what you're up to, they can go to Transistor.fm. That is your SaaS app, your podcast hosting. And of course, you are M.I. Justin on the Twitters. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining me, man. Yeah, thanks. This is fun. Awesome. And um, so coming up, we have next Wednesday, May 13th, Sarah Hatter from CoSupport talking about the emotional investment that is customer experience. See you next week, same time, same place.